As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me for our Mexico World Cup preview show. That means we're going to go over the 26-man roster that was announced on Monday. Uh, Tata Martino has chosen and left out some key players. So we'll go over the snubs and some of the inclusions that I think are going to help this team or potentially hurt Mexico as they navigate Group C. They'll open with Poland on November 22nd and then face World Cup contenders Argentina four days later before closing the first round of the group stage against Saudi Arabia. So uh, I'm here in Doha. It is 1.28 in the morning on Tuesday. I'm still getting used to being eight hours ahead and living in the future. Uh, but hey, I hope I adjust in time for next week when the games really start to kick off. And this is going to get wild. I really think that this tournament is going to be just logistically like something we've never experienced before. Those of us that are on the ground are preparing for that. I'm, I'm here a week early. There are no fans yet. And I can't even imagine how this place, this this small country, is going to manage over a million extra visitors. So we shall see. A quick heads up, we'll have another edition of COPA later this week, and I'll have a special guest, uh, Jasmine Garst. She is an NPR correspondent and the host and creator of The Last Cup, which is a new podcast series on NPR, focusing on the life and journey of Lionel Messi. So don't miss that one. Uh, But yeah, let's talk about Mexico. That is what this is, a World Cup preview show focused on El Tri. So let's start with with Mexico's roster. Let's go over the 26-man roster. I'll go position by position, beginning with the goalkeepers. Again, I think when I, when, when I finished this list, if you've been following Mexico and my coverage of Mexico since 2019, I don't think there's going to be any surprises other than the two players that I think were snubbed in the end. Uh, but beginning with the goalkeepers, I think this is a veteran three-man goalkeeper group led by Guillermo Ochoa, who's going to be the starter. Then we have Alfredo Talavera and Rodolfo Cota. Those are the goalkeepers. Defenders, Nestor Araujo, Cesar Montes, Johan Vasquez, uh, Gerardo Arteaga, Héctor Moreno, Jorge Sanchez, Jesús Gallardo, Kevin Álvarez. Those are our defenders, our midfielders, Edson Álvarez, Luis Romo, Carlos Rodríguez, Eric Gutiérrez, Héctor Herrera HH, Luis Chávez from Pachuca, the veteran Andrés Guardado, uh, Orbelín Pineda, 
that rounds up our midfielder group. And then our forwards, Raul Jimenez from Wolves makes the team despite not being 100% fit, which is the expectation here. Alexis Vega from Chivas, Rogelio Funes Mori from Monterrey, Henry Martin from Club America, Irving Lozano, who's playing on one of the best teams in Europe in Napoli and playing really well. So Lozano is going to be a big piece. Roberto El Piojo Alvarado and Uriel Antuna. Those are our forwards. That is our 26-man roster. And right away, I think anyone that's listening wants to find out and wants to discuss, debate, rant, or yell about the fact that, yeah, Diego Linez and Santiago Jimenez were not part of this announcement. So th- both Diego Linez and uh, the the young striker for Feyenoord, ex Cruzazo Santi Jimenez, will not be part of the World Cup roster. I mean, they're probably on standby uh, in case there's an injury. They're probably one of the two players that may get called up. But in the end, Tata Martino decides to go with the most experienced 26-man roster that he can possibly go with. And I think that's the story here. Before we get into specifics about Diego Lainez and Santi Jimenez, Tata Martino, since he started coaching, uh, really at the highest levels in Argentina, first with New His Old Boys, and then he eventually coached Paraguay at, a two, at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. You know, all those teams had had key veteran players. They were veteran-led. Uh, when he came to MLS, and I covered him here in Atlanta, some of the better, like the nucleus of that Atlanta team that won the MLS Cup in 2018 were hardcore MLS veterans, guys that just knew how to do their jobs, that could support the creative players around them, that could be uh, really role models and tactical uh, guides and, and and coaches on the field for some of the uh, the younger players that were on that team. But in the end, even the Atlanta team was a veteran-led squad. So I know there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of controversy. A lot of fans are, aren't pleased with this Mexico team not being, you know, the, the big generational change that many fans are expecting for this World Cup. It is still going to be one of the older teams in in the World Cup here in Qatar. Uh, and ironically, or perhaps more, more better said, coincidentally, that is the script. That is Tata Martino's script. Like he is going to always lean on the veteran players that he believes can do the job over untested, and still unproven younger players. But my first of all, my personal opinion on on Diego Lainez in particular, you know, I think that's a player that you you want to have on your bench. You want to have a player like that at the World Cup. You know, there are nations here in Qatar that are bringing. You know, obviously the U.S. is a very young team, but uh, there are teams that are bringing really young players for to give them. Uh, not just like a valuable tournament experience, but that they're going to play. They'll have a role off the bench. They're 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 considered contributors for some of these countries. And while Mexico does have you know players that are under twenty five that are going to be the future of this national team, you know, up until twenty twenty six and a little bit beyond that, it's not a team that has four or five guys that are you know taken from the U twenty team and that are going to provide a spark. And I think Diego Linez was that type of player. Uh, in the end, even though I I really love what he does off the bench, he's a one v one dribbler. He's very adventurous. He's very direct. In the end, and I'm going to write a story about this. So I'm just going to tease it here a little bit. I'll go into a little bit deeper analysis on on my uh, Mexico roster dissection, if you will. But I think the fact that he's a bit one-dimensional, Diego Lainez, is what ultimately kept him off this list. Because if you look at the front three, the players in that forward line for Mexico, 
so many of them, with the exclusion, perhaps the exception of Raul Jimenez, who really is, you know, your your typical number nine, you know, Alexis Vega, uh, Irvin Lozano, Alvarado, who ultimately, you know, beat out Diego Linus to earn this, you know, to earn a spot on the team. Uh, those key players are, are are three players that can play across the front line in different positions. Uh, then you have Uriel Antuna, who is just a very traditional direct running right winger Henry Martin who's a guy that you know is just going to battle and come come back to and check to midfielders keep possession can finish if he's given a good ball and in the end a player that that is just going to come on and sort of provide a spark even though that's really important in the end the, the coaching staff led by Tata Martino decided that they would rather have more options in the players that they chose rather than have one player like Diego Linas that may or may not come up big if you call his number in a key moment of the game. So again, I don't necessarily agree with it. And and just as a as a as a football fan, as a soccer fan, I really wanted to see Diego Linus at this World Cup. But tactically speaking, and, and just knowing the, the 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 history behind how Tata Martino chooses his players and the history that he has with this three-year tenure with Mexico. These are the guys that he's he's been leaning on since he started. With the addition of some newer players like Gerardo Arteaga, who I think is a big, big addition. Johan Vasquez, two young defenders that are going to be the future of this national team. Kevin Alvarez from, from Pachuca, a young right back, very adventurous, very direct. Uh, speedy as well, can provide a different look if he if he gets on the field. Uh, and and so that is a Tata Martino team that it really is. So that's the 26 man roster. Uh, you know the, the the big snubs are are Linus and Jimenez. And in Jimenez's case, you know he's I believe he's still the leading scorer for uh, in the Europa League for Feyenoord. But again, he's he really is like really untested at both the club level and the international level like he was he 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 sort of exploded for Cruz Azul he has a nice profile as a number nine you know prototypically perfect for European football at that position and he's in really good form he's he's scoring goals for Feyenoord but to Tata Martinez's point when he spoke to reporters uh, last week he acknowledged that he acknowledged that he really likes Jimenez, that he's going to be you know a big part of the of the national team moving forward. He he told the story of calling Jimenez up when he wasn't even starting for Cruz Azul, and, and sort of gave himself credit for for being one of the coaches that backed him and that gave him his national team uh, debut and his chance. The in the same press conference, he also. Uh, Tata Martino detailed some of the limitations that Jimenez has. He's not a starter for Farinoid uh, in, in the Dutch league. Uh, he doesn't play all the time. He has limited minutes. He's just taking advantage of them. And when we go back to profile, again, the the number nine or the number nines for Mexico are Ra- Raúl Jimenez and Rogelio Funes Mori. That is the back to goal, come play, you know, combine with your midfielders and finish. Those are the two number nines that, he, that that Tata Martino decided to choose. And bringing in Jimenez is bringing in a third number nine with very similar uh, characteristics as Raul Jimenez and Funes Mori. I think where Jimenez still needs to learn and grow a little bit is that you know coming out of your box, you know, play, you know, checking to the ball, turning and combining and 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 helping Mexico and helping his team to keep the ball and keep possession rather than just being a finisher inside the box. So that's why Henry Martin, you know, his veteran uh, experience was was again chosen over a young player like Santi Jimenez as well. So uh, those are the big snubs, Jimenez and Linez. I think when you really 
remove the emotion out of these picks when you remove your 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 Mexico jersey uh, and 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 sort of the the pessimism that is surrounding this team as they prepare for the World Cup and perhaps understand the tactics and the fits and what happens when 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 a certain match goes one direction and what happens when it goes in another direction and what sort of players does this coaching staff believe that they have in order to help Mexico get as much out of the group stage as they possibly can. Uh, I, I tend to understand where these decisions are going. I'm not as surprised uh, with the omission of Santi Jimenez as I am with Diego Linus. Uh, so that's the 26-man that's the, uh, roster. I do want to shift a little bit and, and talk about uh, you know, the makeup of this team for Mexico and, and, and the group that they're facing in Group C. Briefly touch on some of the opponents, uh, their strengths and weaknesses, and, and sort of highlight some stories that we've done at The Athletic that I think if you're following Mexico, and especially if you're following Group C, these are stories that you're definitely going to want to get behind. So we have these tactics, Group World Cup tactics guides that are written by Liam Tharm, and they're excellent. He's gone through every single group and meticulously detailed the tactics, the players, the strengths, the weaknesses of each team in the World Cup group by group. And Group C is really interesting because you have Mexico, you have Poland, Argentina, and Saudi Arabia. You have a true contender in Argentina. You have a perennial uh, World Cup performer in Mexico that since 1994 has gotten out of every group stage that they participated in. So there's that pressure. You have Poland who have qualified for back-to-back world cups the first time in forever, basically. And they have obviously a star studded front line led by Robert Lewandowski and then Saudi Arabia, a bit of an unknown, but in my opinion, a Gulf nation that is going to feel right at home in Qatar. And that is always very tricky to play against. So Uh, I'm going to start with Poland and just go briefly uh, through some of the things that Mexico is going to have to prepare for. Uh, You know, the Poland game really is the do or die game. I think the staff has been preparing for this game against Poland for several years now. Um, And not just the, you know, the opponent Poland, but the first stage, the first game of the group stage, once they knew that their opponent was Poland in April, uh, the focus really shifted to that first game. Mexico, the fans, the coaches, the players, uh, casual observers understand that this Mexico team, this team that many believe just isn't as collectively talented uh, as other Mexico teams in past World Cups, or perhaps it doesn't have really like that fight uh, you know, that knife between the teeth sort of personality that other Mexican teams have had. The the concern is that if they don't beat Poland, they're not getting out of the group. So this Poland game is going to be huge, huge, huge for Mexico. And let's briefly talk about Poland. This is a team that plays very direct. It's a very direct team. I think they really are a classic European setup where they're very intense in midfield. They have no problem playing long and, and winning second balls in the opponent's half, you know, targeting Lewandowski to bring, to bring a ball to bring a ball down and allow his teammates to, to, to battle for those second balls. A lot of traditional flank play and service into the box. I mean, that is classic, classic European football. Uh, And Poland does that pretty well. You know, I don't think, however, that they're a team uh, that, that wants the ball. And so that's where Mexico, you're going to see them really lean on what they've been working on under under Tata Martino since the, since he stepped in in 2019, which is being comfortable on the ball, controlling possession, uh, playing a high line and playing inside their opponent's half. Uh, and, and that's going to be the game. And, it, you know, I think 
because Poland is not a team that wants to control games and wants to have the ball and wants to control and dictate tempo, you know, they want to disrupt you. Uh, it, it really is going to be an interesting chess match uh, between these two coaching styles for, for Mexico and, and Poland. You know, I, I like Mexico in this game. I really do, despite everything that we know about this Mexico team, the struggles that they've gone through, uh, the toxic nature of the environment that, that they're stepping out of when they left Mexico and, and, and flew to Spain for two weeks to prepare for this World Cup. Uh, it, it's a difficult and it's a tricky matchup. It's the first matchup. It's the first game of the World Cup, and that's always you know just nerve-wracking. But I think that Mexico on the ball will, has grown in confidence despite still being toothless in the attack their four nothing win over iraq recently in a friendly is you know doesn't tell the full story i think it was huge for confidence but uh this is a team that still is lacking firepower up front and despite having you know the the clear the clear number nines that i've discussed in raul jimenez funes mori henry martin and and really you know a group of very flexible attackers and alvarado irving lozano uh even uriel antuna like these are guys that can get behind uh, a defensive back line. They're they're guys that are confident uh, when they find their groove, and they, and Mexico can really start to create chances. It's 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 these are players that uh, do well. They just cannot finish. It's not a clinical team, and so that's the big concern. That if they're not clinical enough in these games in the World Cup, if these games get tight, uh, you know, Mexico is a team that can lose a game one nothing. And so uh, this Poland game, I think, is, is, is huge, but I do think it sets up to, to Mexico's strengths of being on the ball, dictating tempo, uh, and finding those wrinkles, those tactical wrinkles in the half spaces and flank play uh, to really, really confuse Poland that really wants to play tradition with a traditional back four. So it'll be interesting to see. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
why. Uh, Argentina, game two. Uh, this is game two for Mexico on November 26th. And we all know about Argentina, right? <laughs> they have, this is a star-studded team uh, led by Lionel Messi, Lautaro Martinez, their number nine, Inter Milan superstar, just can't stop scoring goals. We had our veterans in Angel Di Maria, Nicolas Otamendi, um, even you know, even a goalkeeper, a number two goalkeeper like Frank, Franco Amarni, who you know four years ago was considered the best goalkeeper in South America, now backing up Emmy Martinez, uh, a team that hasn't lost in over I believe thirty five matches, uh, a, a manager in Lionel Scaloni that has become a cult hero uh, in 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 Argentina and just a team that's coming off uh, incredible momentum having won the Copa America in 2021. This is a team that is just really confident that they can beat anybody. Uh, what's really interesting about Mexico and Argentina is their World Cup rivalry. They faced each other very recently uh, in 2006 and then again in 2010, both in knockout games. Both games were won by Argentina, uh, but there's a history there. And, and I think that second game is going to be one where you know, Mexico has to, at all costs, avoid going into that game against Argentina needing three points because Argentina obviously expected to beat Saudi Arabia. And what's most difficult for Argentina is that they're just really, really, really tough to play against because they really, you know, if Mexico likes to keep the ball, Argentina really, really loves to keep the ball. And they will just do complete match control, pin you in your back half, uh, and, and really force you to play counterattacking soccer. Mexico can do that, I believe, with Lozano and Antuna uh, and even Alexis Vega being outlet players that can run at you uh, on the counterattack. But we all know that counterattacking soccer is hit or miss. If that's what you're relying on, that typically means that you are on the defensive and you're being backed up into your own territory. And that is exactly what Argentina wants to do to their opponents. Uh, Lionel Messi obviously uh, has just been really rejuvenated uh, in this new cycle under Lionel Scaloni. He, he's playing a little bit deeper, more as a creator, but because he doesn't have to do uh, a lot of the work both in the attack and in creation, uh, he has a lot more space, a lot more flexibility, a lot more freedom to find the places on the field where he can be most dangerous. Uh, and so that, that's that's a big wrinkle for, for, for Messi, that just having the confidence for the players that are behind him, his three-man midfield, that they're going to do the work in ball recovery, they're going to be covering ground, uh, they're going to find him, and he doesn't have to be the finisher. He's not the one that they're relying on to win games uh, for them. So that makes them, in my opinion, even more dangerous. Just a tough, tough opponent. But one of the biggest matches at this World Cup, without a doubt, in the first uh, phase of the tournament and the group stage is Argentina and Mexico. So many people have that game circled on their calendar, and we hope it lives up to uh, its billing. Saudi Arabia, final group uh, stage match for Mexico, the final rival, the final opponent. And if everything goes as expected, Mexico should be going into that game hoping to win, hoping to draw, and just sort of solidify their second-round berth uh, into the knockout phase. But what makes Saudi Arabia dangerous, and I said this at the top, uh, they're, because they're, they're a bit of an unknown and the fact that they are playing so close to home I think is dangerous, the one other thing that gets talked about a lot uh, in, in football circles is their coach, Irv Renard. 
Uh, he's a very experienced coach. He is a two-time African Cup of Nations winner. He, I, I believe he's one of the only coaches, if not the only coach, to win AFCON with two different countries. He won it with Zambia and Ivory Coast. Uh, and you know Saudi Arabia, interestingly enough, they're a team that actually wants the ball. You remember them playing against the U.S. recently in September, and that was not a full-strength Saudi Arabia team. But they were on the ball. They were uh, very comfortable in possession. They want to build play and get into your half, and you know find find different sorts of combination play to get into the box. They create a lot of chances. Uh, again, go back to the tact- the World Cup tactics guides that we have on Group C, and you're going to see that big chances, which are those chances that are not just XG, not just a, a, a chance created, but a big-time key pass in the box that should be a goal, uh, they, they create a lot of those. Um, the difference with, I, I think the weakness, I'm sorry, the weakness for Saudi Arabia is that they can be dissected fairly easily when you're when facing opponents that are just that have more quality than them uh even the u.s while they did struggle the u.s had plenty of chances to to turn that game around uh you know penetrating line breaking passes is something that a lot of their opponents in 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 these friendly matches pre-world cup including colombia i watched that game venezuela those teams were switching fields on saudi arabia consistently breaking them down in the middle and really sending runners through uh, Saudi Arabia's back line and Saudi Arabia just couldn't handle them. However, when they get on the ball, they look like a capable team. So Mexico in that game is going to have to really flip the switch uh, and force Saudi Arabia to chase. I think they can do that. Mexico is the better team and they're more comfortable on the ball uh, even than the Saudis are. But uh, still, I think the story of that game is going to be, you know, what, what, what is Mexico walking into? Uh, that day against Saudi Arabia, are they qualified? Are they in desperate need of winning the game and winning, of getting those three points and, and fighting for a second spot? Uh, could they potentially win the group with a positive result? So that that third game is always an, an interesting one, and, and I think by the time Mexico gets to that game, we're going to know plenty about El Tree, not just for 2022, but certainly for 2026, because this is a team, this is it. This is the final year for so many of these players, Ochoa, Hector Moreno, Hector uh, Herrera, Andres Guardado, Raul Jimenez. This is it. This is the last dance. And 2026 is going to be a completely different look for Mexico, a different coaching staff, uh, different players, younger players could be. It could be a completely different style of play by the time they host co-host in 2026. And if things go poorly for Mexico, which is really, I think the general consensus is there. Actually, let's call it a fear. I think there's a big fear that Mexico won't do it. They won't get out of the group like they they like they have at every World Cup since 1994. Uh, by the time they play in that third game. The wheels will be off the bus. You know, the, the train will be off the tracks if they've performed poorly in two consecutive games and they're walking into the Saudi Arabia game just trying to show up and finish the tournament. Uh, the, the script could be a completely different one if they're, they're either fighting for qualification or, or just solidifying uh, a good run of form in the group stage and preparing for what's likely going to be a very, very difficult round, round two battle with uh, the defending champions, France. Another story, and actually, and this 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 does tie to what could be the narrative for Mexico. And I, I read the story by Michael Cox, my colleague at The Athletic with the UK. He wrote a story recently called How to Win a World Cup, The Lessons Teams Can Learn from Previous Winners. And 
again, Mexico isn't a contender here. Surprises can happen. This, this might be a World Cup full of surprises and unexpected storylines. Uh, but something that I took away from his write-up, which I recommend everyone reads, because there isn't a, there isn't a science to becoming the World Cup champion. There is, there's one thing that he says in that story. is like, you don't need to have a prolific number nine. It would be great if you did, if you were Brazil and you had Ronaldo Nassario in 2002, um, or some of these other big countries that have really bonafide proven goal scorers. But the one thing that, that he said that I think ties directly into what Mexico will be at this World Cup and what Tata Martino is as a coach and what he has been telling everyone, even between the lines, uh, the, the story that he's been trying to tell as far as player selection goes, is this line from the Michael Cox story on how to win a World Cup. Successful international coaches tend to stick with the tried and tested. Again, successful international coaches tend to stick with the tried and tested. And that's a line from his story where, again, I'm going to reinterpret what this means for Mexico, where when, while, while so many fans are clamoring for younger players and this guy from Liga MX and this guy from, from Pachuca or someone from Chivas or somebody from Atlas, in the end, especially at the international level, coaches want the most experienced side that they can muster for a tournament. They want to know who they have and what they have at all times. And even the United States, which which is an outlier in this World Cup being a very young team, the reason why they they may they don't fit this bill of the tried and the tested is because of their age. But by this time under Greg Berhalter, even this young team, you know what you're getting out of them. There shouldn't be big surprises in his starting 11 against Wales. Uh, so, so it is an interesting uh, approach to to roster building for World Cups. Uh, I'm from Colombia. I grew up in the United States, but I've obviously I was born in Colombia. I follow the Colombian national team very closely, and and they've struggled with this too. Generational change, like bringing in younger players to, to freshen up the squad for so many years. Colombian coaches prefer to rely on the guys that they know and, and 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 the thinking there is well these guys know how to play in big situations they're they know how to handle pressure they know how to handle stress they can help the two or three younger guys that are on this team that that need leadership and that's something that most coaches really value and so think about that when you decide perhaps to to rant and rave about some of the omissions that we have seen with this Mexico side over the last three years. And the thing is, Martino uh, has tested a lot of players. He's used spe- very specific non-FIFA window friendlies to try out a lot of under 22, under 23, and under 20 players. Uh, and he has done so with with a plan that I think was twofold. One, he really did want to see which guys can break into the 26-man roster for Qatar. Uh, few did. Few did. Jesus Angulo at one time was a player that, that really came up through Atlas. He was transferred to Tigres. He's a left-footed central defender, very versatile in that back line. I thought he was going to make this team maybe like six months ago, but he slowly just sort of played himself out of the rotation. Uh, and, and there just weren't enough younger guys that were breaking through. But in the end, according to Martino, like some of those call-ups were to prepare those players for the 2026 World Cup. Some of the players that are here in camp right now uh, that they call in South America sparring players, basically. They're just here to train, to, to, to shadow uh, the, the, the starters and, and the 26-man players 
to, to sort of act like an opponent, uh, to scrimmage against their teammates. A lot of these guys are under 20, under 22, under 23 players that have a really bright future and that Martino has brought into this camp uh, in order to give them that experience at a World Cup. So that is something to look forward to in 2026. But 2022, the story the entire time for Mexico under Tata Martino was who were going to be his guys, who were going to be the players that he felt, okay, I can rely on you and I can rely on this group as a collective and which players are going to break through. In the end, I think there were breakthrough players. Johan Vasquez was a player that broke through. Arteaga, a player that broke through. Kevin Alvarez, he certainly did break through. Uh, Luis Romo broke through early uh, and sustained it. He he kept his spot. You know, Carlos Rodriguez, who can rem- everyone remembers his game at the Club World Cup uh, as a young midfielder against Liverpool. He has been able to maintain his spot on the national team, even though I think he needs to to play a lot better. Um, and then you know, there's there's some players like Orbelin Pineda that I think in Mexico people really value as a playmaker uh, that, that I think is an important player for Martino. I think he will play a role, maybe not in the starting 11, but he's a player that can come in and, and help Mexico create when they need that sort of creativity in the final third. So several players have done that, perhaps not the way that fans wanted to see it. But I will tell you that that's going to be the next cycle for Mexico. So after 2022, uh, that is going to be the big, big narrative around Mexico. But for now, all we can do is look forward to November 22nd when Mexico kicks off the World Cup here in Qatar against Poland. I think is one of I honestly believe it is one of the biggest games in Mexico's very long and extensive and decorated Mexico football history over 100 years of Mexican football. Uh, so much history at World Cups, great players, great traditions. And for some reason, this game feels like it's been it's bigger than any game that they've had at a World Cup, this game against Poland. Uh, and, and so the more people I talk to, I spoke with Hugo Sanchez recently, uh, the former Real Madrid, Madrid legend and, and Mexico great. And he said the same thing. You know, he's been very critical of this team, but he said, again, this Poland game is massive. He believes that Mexico can beat the Poles, and if they do that, they're going to be in a much better place than many expected. So, hope you enjoyed the preview. Uh, again, stay tuned for another episode of Copa later this week. And again, follow me on Twitter. Follow the Athletic Soccer Show. Follow the Athletic Soccer on Twitter. We have so much content, guys. So much content, ladies and gentlemen, here from Qatar. And this, we are literally. This is dedicated to my my colleague Pablo Mar. By the way, by the way, this is. The calm before the storm, people, because once the group stage gets kicks off, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So stay tuned. Again, thanks for joining me, and until next time, take care.